0: Hello happy places. Before we start the show, Jude93495 left us a review on Apple Podcast about this episode saying, would you consider putting a warning on this episode as it could be triggering for someone with an eating disorder? Jude, an excellent tip. Thank you so much. Everyone, consider yourself warned. Now, on with the show. And welcome to Happy Place, the podcast where I, Fern Cotton, speak to friends and other people I admire about their lives and how they keep it all together. Look, thank you so much for all of your wonderful reviews and feedback about the show so far, especially to lovely Rachel, who tweeted me this week. She said... I had to pull over when you read Lena Headey's Instagram post as I burst into tears. Trying to love myself is something I'm really struggling with right now. It doesn't feel like it's going to lift or get better, but I cling on to hope that it will. Thank you for this. Well, thank you, Rachel, for sharing such a personal moment. And you're not alone. If by doing this show we can help inspire a bit more love, then I think we're doing it right. So thank you, Rachel, and loads of love to you. Now, this is the last episode in the first series, which is crazy because it's completely whizzed by. We're going to take a very short break between this series and the next, which I think is a very healthy thing to do. But as you may have realised by now, I do find it quite hard to switch off, which you will hear more about in today's episode with Gok One.
1: If I'm very honest, I know work will be the thing that kills me. I, you know, people know what's, where you, how you're going to go. I know that it will be work because it does define me and it is filling a void.
0: Locke and I have been friends for a long time now. And um, when I asked him to come on the show, he was thankfully very up for it. So I'm delighted to be able to share this with you today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices I am off to go and see one of my great friends, Mr Gok Wan, who I've been friends with for a long time. He also happens to be my daughter's godfather and a very good one at that. And I want to sort of talk to him about his extraordinary story in life and where it's led him. I think being a teenager and growing up is hard enough as it is, you know, with puberty and friendships and school and feeling alienated and all that stuff. But perhaps even more so when you've got other things thrown into the mix, like being gay, um, perhaps being an ethnic minority in the area that you live in, perhaps feeling even more alienated because of your weight and body image. And Gok is always beyond open and honest about these subjects, which I love him for dearly. So I'm going to explore that with him today and see what little gems he comes up with. Go away! (laughs) Let me in! (laughs) Come on in. You look gorgeous. This is a joy to be sat on your plush sofa with you, the busiest man that I know, <laughs> and actually having time to have a chat.
1: I've always made time for you. You're never around. you always say how busy I am? No, it's you. No, it's you. It's you. It's you. It's, We're going to start this argument. It's very now. much it's you. you. <laughs> it's always you. But we have the regular text messages.
0: Every day, without fail, every morning you text me. And it would be, if you didn't text me, I would assume that you had died. Yeah,
1: died. Just yeah. gone off somewhere. Or gone to move and living in a hut in mm, Hong Kong somewhere. I love that um, you text no, me No, I love our day. text messages. It's odd, isn't it? Because we get a little bit older and we get busier and busier and busier. And because both you and I have the same addiction, which is work need to feel needed need to feel validated we both know that is that actually the older you get those text messages become far more important oh
0: it's everything because it is like a smoke signal isn't it it's like i'm
1: fine don't worry about me i'm fine (laughs) i'm okay i'm not dead i'm not laying under the number 42 on oxford street it's fine (laughs) no it
0: is and just to know that wherever you are in the country or the world that you can have that connection it's really important do you not
1: wish that you had all of those skills when you were younger though Definitely. To think that that easiness with it instead of that constant need to, okay, I've got to see that person. I've got to do this. I've got to race here. Yeah. I've got to fly there and I've got to do this. But actually, you just get a bit older. You think, no, it's fine. I'll see you twice a year for dinner. And we'll, as long as we talk every single day, Doesn't matter. it's fine. If you get pregnant, call me. It's yeah, fine.
0: Which is yeah. U- unlikely. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it's, re- it's, it's really important and it is a joy. And I want to talk to you a lot more about that whole work thing a bit later. But where I want to start mm-hmm. is you being a teenager growing up. Because what I love about you, I love loads of things about you, but I love your vulnerability and the fact that you're so open and so willing to share your story. So can you just tell us a bit more about what yeah. it was like growing up as Gok? So that there was a few
1: big significant things that shaped the person I am today. The first thing is is growing up in a family business, so watching mum and dad work as hard as they possibly could to provide us with a home and a a place to live and and everything else plus we lived in our businesses and that was a big change so that kind of shaped a big part of my work ethic and it also shaped my my fears really massive fears watching mum and dad working super hard and being really worried about customers coming in every night to work and you know when the business was brilliant everyone was really happy and when it was terrible dad was always quite you know upset and miserable and worried and so that that I've got a lot of those traits in my personality. It's so interesting
0: that even at that age you had that worry because a lot of kids, they wouldn't even give that yeah. a thought. They would just be well, we in the work. moment.
1: So I was working with Dad yeah. from about three. So Dad, I mean, the social <laughs> services might have something to say about it now, but Dad would package us all up and we'd go off to work with him and we would be front of house mascots for the restaurant. Mm. And so we learned from a really early age just the importance of, you know, customer service and looking after people and hosting and entertaining and you know making sure everyone feels comfortable Mm. so I'm most at home surprise surprise when I'm either in a bar or a restaurant Mm. because it just feels like home to me yeah yeah um and so so yeah so we learned all that stuff but also we enjoyed it and I learned more in that restaurant than I've ever ever learned at school or university or anything because I learned about people Mm. and being able to command a room of diners is an impossible job if you think about it. You've got you know up to sixty, seventy different personalities in a room. Different personalities, mm. and they're all there for the same reason. You've got to be a, a ringmaster. It's like a circus. So it's
0: really training for what you ended up doing I mean, in a maybe. very sort of yeah. diverse way. And I've
1: spoken about this before. You know, when I when I when I lied to get my first makeup job, I borrowed all the testers from the body shop. When I say borrowed, I borrowed. (laughs) And I went off to do this bloody makeup job and I did the worst makeup in the world. It was awful. They had orange foundation lines around the chins. They had eyebrows where their lips were and lips where their eyebrows should be. But actually, when every single one of those women sat in my makeup chair... I did exactly the same as what I did in the restaurant, which is I made them feel comfortable and I gave them compliments and I, you know, treated them well and they laughed and they didn't actually care about how they looked. Mm. They felt confident enough to be on camera and I learnt that skill from the restaurant and even now, you know, making... You know, I don't know how many hundreds of thousands of TV shows now about fashion and makeovers and stuff. And of course, we've worked on those together. Yeah, yeah. For me, it's never really been about the clothes. I love clothes and I love fashion, but actually it's the people, it's yeah. the reaction. And yeah. all of that still comes from the restaurant. So mm. that was the first thing. And I think the other thing, obviously growing up mixed race was yeah. always very difficult because we were slightly tormented for it when we were growing up. And not because of being mixed race, because I grew up in a very multicultural city in the Midlands, but because we were one of the only Chinese mixed race families. Mm. Mm. And it was very unusual back in the seventies, and so we stuck out like sore thumbs.
0: I guess that teamed with a kid that is sort of going to work as a family business yeah. is, is a bit of a double well, it was, whammy. Yeah. For you well, the as odd well thing that was, age. is at
1: the restaurant it was celebrated because people went there to eat Chinese food. People yeah. went there to be around something which felt exotic. Absolutely. And, and, but then the minute you left the restaurant yeah. or you left home, we became very vulnerable mm. and we became, you know, subject to, you know, the taunting and the name calling mm. and the kind of speculation. As my mum tells this story that she. He was pushing me my brother we there's only 14 months between the two of us so we were brought up as twins and so we were on double buggy in the 70s and my mum's pushing us through the estate where we lived on and a woman stops her and says they're not your kids they can't be your kids because they're nothing like you oh, and it was like you know so my mum went through all of this God, stuff as well and so it was inherited we got all of that stuff and
0: how do you deal with that as a kid you know as adults now whenever we get any kind of abuse or torment, we yeah. can kind of process it and chat to other people about it. But as a yeah. kid, you're just dealing with this face-on onslaught yeah. of information that you don't understand. Yeah.
1: Well, I didn't. So, 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 yeah. So we've got the mixed race, and we've got the growing up in a business. Then add fat and gay on top of it you can imagine it was a smorgasbord for the bullies Mm -hmm. so it was like one of those things but i never spoke about it with anyone because my mum and dad were busy in the restaurant yeah and i didn't feel the need to talk to anyone else about it and i kind of dealt with it my own way which wasn't the right way which was how I I reinvented myself at the mm. age of 13 and I decided it's, I, it was a significant moment in my life where I'd been tripped up. I was on the floor. It was a standard event every day at school mm. and I'm laying there was the last day of term for the summer holidays and I remember looking up at the bullies and thinking I'm not doing this anymore. No. I'm, you're, I'm not having this. And so that summer I said to my mum, I want you to help me. I want you to take me to next. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so she took me to next and we bought adorable. an aaron jumper a pair of beige chinos brown brogues i had my hair cut put loads of fucking gel in it so much bloody gel <laughs> i looked like my head had been dunked underwater and i went into school and everything was different and because really? i looked different and because i all of a sudden i it was almost like a superhero costume yeah is that people couldn't get their head around it they couldn't get their head around the fact that i had changed So dramatically, physically, I hadn't lost weight and I wasn't less gay and I wasn't less Asian, but I behaved differently because Mm -hmm. this superhero costume and... So I went the opposite way. So all of a sudden, then I then got the attention that I probably shouldn't have got, mm. and I became raucous and naughty and hedonistic, and I would do anything for attention. So the jokes in school became insults, and the insults then became rude, and the rude, and you know you know how rude and filthy I am anyway. I mean, horrific. at the age of at the age of thirteen, yeah. and just being fearless. About getting into trouble just simply for a reaction, because whilst all that stuff was happening, and in hind- you know, hindsight, so powerful. But whilst all that stuff was happening, whilst they were laughing with me or what I was saying, they weren't laughing at me. Mm. So for me, it became a really clever vehicle and device yeah. to keep the whole world at bay. Yeah, which you know, in, in which in twofold, one side of it is. Hugely isolating because you are on your own, mm. and your humour doesn't involve anybody else. And the other thing is, is that it, what it does is it it puts you into a space where actually people are afraid of you, mm. and that's what I did. And I did all of that really quickly. So much so that the school expelled me because I was in I was so raucous and naughty and troublemaking. And then all of all of a sudden, I found myself back to square one. I was living mm. above the restaurant at the age of fifteen with no qualifications, had no friends because they were all at school, and. It was, it was it was the wrong thing to do. But actually, it was the only thing I could have done. It was about survival.
0: I think it was smart. I think, you know, like you say, your options are slim at that point. That, you know, what do you do? Do you just isolate even further and end up, you know, not going to school because mm. you're scared of being there? Or do you try and reinvent yourself? And I think that was a really smart thing to do at a really young age out of necessity well it was if you think
1: about it it was the first makeover I ever did yeah did
0: that sort of ignite that you understanding the power of clothing and the power of how you could present yourself
1: 100% it's kind of you know for me you know working as a fashion stylist I've I've had the most incredible career and I've loved my job working on music videos and editorials and advertising campaigns before I was on television you know travelling the world working with bands and you know I've loved it but actually I didn't really care about the clothes Mm. and I love clothes And I love what they do. I love shopping. You know I do. I love. And I'm slightly obsessed with clothes. But it's never about the clothes. It's about branding. Mm. It's about the information that we give out to people. It's the millions of messages a single outfit can do. Mm. Those different conversations and the stories that are behind them. And I love the idea that actually if you can harness that, if you can control that, it's not ever about being on trend. It's about you not ever having to say a single word but being in full control of the world and it's so powerful
0: it is and it is a statement it's a real statement when you see some even if it's not particularly you know a flamboyant outfit or anything particularly out you know out of the box just seeing someone who's very confident in the way they hold themselves and present themselves is a very attractive thing and you know and you totally understood the power of that in that period of your well, life. I did it to
1: myself and so yeah. I thought I suppose in my head my subconscious believed actually if you can do this now and you can change the way an entire school feels about you mm. then actually if you've got somebody you know later on cut to in my 30s making house look good naked and if I've got somebody who can't have sex with her partner or can't take the kids swimming because she's so ashamed of her body or can't even take the kids to school because mm. she's ashamed of what the mums will think of her if you can take her and you can then put those things back into her life yeah. just by giving her a dress mm. you know that is such a powerful thing to do it is, and it you is. know for anybody that turns around and says that fashion's unimportant and it's materialistic actually you know forget the cloth and forget the designer labels it's nothing to do with that it's actually how those clothes make that person feel completely and it's the conversation behind it and it's the understanding and it's making sure that every single person that you're sat around knows that you are in that room Mm. now that can be a tracksuit it can be a leather jacket it can be a dress it can be a sweatshirt it can be your boots you're wearing now it doesn't matter Mm. as long as you take ownership of that yeah completely
0: so going back to when you're sat in the flat above the restaurant and you've been expelled (laughs) from school and you're 15 and you're kind of back at square one how do you then rise like the phoenix and end up blagging yourself this makeup work and all of these jobs that you that led you to where you are now well you know
1: before the makeup I suppose I I went on a massive journey after that and a huge journey of discovery so from there it turned into going out raving and hitting the the rave scene in the 90s and being out there with all this brand new bunch of kids that were shoplifting and doing drugs and doing all the bad stuff and I was very much in that circle Mm. not doing all that stuff but I was there and so I saw that side and it was was odd because I saw it very early on in my life and it terrified me Mm. because I thought actually I don't want to end up in this world forever so I took myself back to college and the only thing that I'd learned at school that I could do that because I'm not academic as you know in the slightest I'm I'm purely creative Mm. it was was performing was acting Mm. and so I went back to college to do um performing arts and whilst I was there um and my confidence had soared and I'd come out and I'd done all the stuff that I needed to do I was tick 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 this is great and life was looking wonderful then I had a really horrendous experience where I was um threatened very badly in town by A group of lads that threatened to kill me and they terrified me so I suddenly went not went back from finding all this confidence into this really scary Mm, world of isolation where living in perpetual fear that actually and it was all about being gay and it was all about being different and looking different but that weirdly made me really determined Mm. and then I then after that applied for drama school in London moved to London got here but was in the wrong drama school and because I'm not academic, and it was an academic course, it wasn't a performing course, and from there, then got the anorexia. So anorexics have certain things that make them really happy, and I had three. The first one was my fingers had to be freezing cold, and that's because when you don't eat very much, your circulation goes, and so my fingers felt like they'd been kept in the freezer for days. And I loved it, because the colder they were, the, the more I was losing weight. The other one was my collarbones, and so when I'd lost majority of the weight, they were virtually hollow and I used to stand in the shower for hours and not because I was dirty but because I wanted to hear the collarbones collect the water and it was that sound of water collecting that gave me a real sense of joy and a sense of happiness because um, I knew I was losing weight uh, hip bones hip bones were awful because they were red raw because they'd rub all day long against my clothing and the sore they were and sometimes so bruised that they would that the skin would split and I loved that feeling though and so the sense it almost like self harming that 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 pain felt amazing and then uh, one night I went back to my bedsit in Kilburn and I was really low it was the lowest I'd ever got to and I. I sat on my bed and I stripped myself completely naked and up until then I'd never been able to look at my reflection, even as a kid. And even now I really struggle with mirrors and even in my house I don't have any mirrors that are any lower than head height, really. And uh, I... Stripped myself completely naked, and I sat on the bed, and I pulled the bed away from the wall, so it was opposite the mirror, uh, the the wardrobe, which was a really significant thing for me to do. And I remember looking at the wardrobe and just thinking, "This is the most beautiful wardrobe I'd ever seen in my life." I didn't own it; I was in a in a bed sit, and this, this this wardrobe in dark mahogany wood, and the most intricate, beautiful, ornate carvings around the mirror and it really genuinely was the most beautiful thing I'd ever seen in my life and I looked at my reflection and my skin had now sagged over my body and I could see every single one of my bones and I was my my body was almost blue, it was so cold from not eating for, for so long. By that time I was living on about three teaspoons of honey and 50 laxatives a day. I'd gotten that bad and so I was literally eating myself, my body was eating itself. And I remember thinking at that point that I was ill and I was sick and I was starving myself and that I would probably die. And at that point, I knew I needed to get help. And so it was the lowest of the low.
0: And did you go to a doctor, a counsellor? I went home. Oh, wow. I
1: left London. I went home, and I, 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 I knew it was my family that was gonna that was gonna cure me.
0: Mm.
1: And I knew it was the love of my family that was gonna make me better. And. And they did. And my mum was incredible. I don't think that fearlessness is genetic. I don't think it's a chemical that we're Mm. born with. I think it's uh, partly to do with behaviour and how we see people. My dad is... Not only the most incredible man in the entire world, he's mm, also love Papa annoys one. the shit out of me. <laughs> <laughs> he drives me nuts, but I love him. My, I watched my dad be fearless the whole of his life. Mm. You know, he moved to this country. He married a Caucasian woman when it was, you know, his family disowned him for that. Mm. My mum's family disowned her for that. Mm. He opened a business. The business failed. He picked himself up again. Yeah, he went back to work. And the whole time he did it, he did it with this fearless edge of actually, I won't be held down. Yeah, and I've seen that happen. I've seen it firsthand and so he taught me that behavior and mm. i think that that's just what's happened and i and also i like living and, I, you know, when all the bad stuff happens and it continues and it will happen for the rest of yeah, my life. to all of us. But yeah. I really actually like living. Mm. I like waking up. I get mm. excited. I don't like sleeping because mm. when I'm asleep, I can't talk to anyone mm. and I need to be discussing stuff. <laughs> and, I, you know, everything is really exciting. Yeah. You know, even going for lunch. Mm. What are you going to have for lunch? It's yeah. exciting. Yeah.
0: No, I'm with you. I think you and I have formed a friendship. And a lot of it is based on that. We have an insane amount of enthusiasm for everything in life. Yeah. And sometimes that's really knackering and yeah. intense. But amazing. It's brilliant well. and obsessive. Yeah, <laughs> we've got and we're both Virgos, mm, so we yeah. really go for it with yeah. all of those things. But for you, it's it's led you down so many brilliant and interesting paths, and you could have had such a different story. You know, so many people have yeah. had a similar upbringing to you in in varying ways, but they have felt alienated, they have felt rock bottom, they have felt like there was nothing in it for them, and they've stayed in that sort of yeah. place. Whereas you've never let anything hold you back, and you've had a lot of adversity to. through.
1: Yeah, I think... I mean, do you know what? It's it's really odd to hear it like that. It's odd for a friend to say that to Mm. you. Because actually, when we think about it, we we very rarely discuss things in this context, do we? You know, the odd story or whatever. And it's weird because I've never seen myself as doing that. And I Mm. think if I ever consciously thought to myself it's fine, you'll always pick yourself up, it's fine, you'll get on with it. I don't think I would then. No, and no. And so I think it's it's got to be, you know, a lot of people say to me, what is the secret to your happiness? What's the secret to your success? How the hell are you confident? You were 21 stone and now, you know, you're an average size. You might be carrying a bit of Christmas weight at the moment. But, you know, and, uh, you know, you came out and you were gay and you come from a council estate and you, you know, you, all of this stuff. And I... You know, and I say to them, well, "I don't, I don't know the answers to this, and mm. I don't want to know mm. the answers to this, and I don't want to give you the answers to this because you've got to find your own way, and you've just. I think it's instinctual. Yeah, and you've just got to trust, and you know, I've made massive mistakes, Fern. You know, I have. Oh, the, like we the, all the have the biggest yeah. mistakes mm. where I look back and I think to myself, "God, you should just never have done that." But actually, mm. I don't regret them because instinctually I went with them, and to trust your instincts as a as a human being in a very short amount of time on this planet. Mm. We don't have very much time to get everything yeah. done. If you don't trust your instincts, you're never, ever going to do anything. Yeah, you have to go you're... with that gut. You have exactly. to. Exactly, every single time.
0: I love that you're so honest and open and you are just willing to say it all. And I adhere to that and I always want to kind of be honest and tell yeah. people my true story. How much do you think, looking back over your life in those early years, how much of that story defines who you are today? All and of it. Do you see how much that's impacted you and you kind of own that now? Or has it actually, being that open... Has that helped you move away from it and leave it as a chapter over here
1: done? Do you know I never leave. I never ever want to leave the chapters. It's mm. odd because I, I posted something up on, on Instagram the other day. I had a bit of an epiphany. I think I was having a poo when I had it. It <laughs> was very exciting. We we spent the entire our entire lives trying to close chapters. Yeah, but the thing is, our lives are unwritten books. Mm. You know, we have no idea at all where, where the next part of the story is going to take us to. And if you knew that, there's no point in living it. If you knew, mm. the, if you could, because you could race through right to the ending. And so instead of it being, you know, closing a, closing a book or closing a chapter, just turn the page. Yeah. And I think that's the really important thing. So I don't want to forget about those experiences. You know, I, every single day I think about how it feels to to feel isolated and not liked mm. and fat and ugly and bullied and disgusting every single day i think about that because it gets me through that day yeah because i think actually you can find the strength to do that you know and, and like you know failed relationships and and mm. all of that stuff every single one of those experiences makes me who i am
0: i think that's very brave though i think you have to have a lot of courage to be like that because i've certainly got moments in my life where To think about them, they make you shudder or cringe or whatever. Mm. And I don't want to own those moments. I don't want to think, oh, I'm going to remember them because they spur me on. Some I really want to forget. So I think that comes with a whole dose of courage that you go... I've had those bad times but I'm going to remember them and they are yeah. going to spur me on I haven't got there with that one yet so yeah. I think that takes an enormous amount of courage to think Possibly. that way
1: I did a chat show a couple of weeks ago and the, the debate was there's a new psychologist or some person a hypnotist that now claims that he can get rid of memories wow and the debate was would you have it done and instantly my reaction was no you no know, I, I and wouldn't and I wouldn't have it done no. and but the thing is I can get it you know I, I've, I, I've not been in some circumstances that some people have for mm. instance you know when you are with things like rape and horrendous, awful experiences. I've touched what I've never, ever been in that Mm. situation. So I can totally understand whether somebody wants to get rid of those. But for me personally, where I stand in my life, I've genuinely never been happy with who I am. And after a lot of soul searching and a lot of trying to change myself over the years, even in the last maybe three or four, so Mm. recent years, I've constantly tried to better myself and change myself both physically and emotionally and psychologically. And a lot of times I felt not good enough or not strong enough. You know, we both have these. We've yeah, oh my about God, this. yeah, absolutely. But, you know, am I actually good at my job mm. and can I do this? And, mm. you know, I feel like I'm I'm never the one that's chosen type thing. We all have those moments. But actually, you know, I, I have had a real change in gear. Mm. It feels like I've turned a corner and the horizon is beautiful. Mm. And if you allow that to happen and if you allow the sun to rise and sun to set on its own without you trying to control it, the view is incredible
0: is that with age or experience do you think
1: i think it's with taking and this is a new thought and i've never spoken about this before because i'm still trying to work it mm. out but i think it's because i've i've now taken the pressure off myself yeah and the pressure has always been something that's really, really spurred me on to try and be better yep. or different or whatever. And I think that when I turned 40, I had the, the usual milestone breakdown as everyone else does. You know, where you want to go out and wear neon and you know, do <laughs> all that kind of thing and drink 55 pints of Stella, which I actually didn't. It was lots of fun. Um, but I had this epiphany. Actually, I turned 40 and the next day I was doing the bake-off. I was filming the bake-off mm. uh, for Comic Relief. And I remember being in the tent. Now, I might have been slightly hungover obviously, and we're filming. I'm I'm literally sweating gin over Mm, a profiterole in the tent. And I'm having this real moment where I'm thinking to myself, actually, this is your life now mm. and you can do this and you can control all of this stuff. And so where, again, like I've always done, 40 should have been a nightmare and 40 should have been in, like, hideous and awful and I should have just had sex with lots of people in their 20s. <laughs> but I didn't. I made profiteroles and thought, actually, Love it. I'm just going to embrace this moment. And since then, yeah. it's got, the strength has got stronger and stronger. Now, that mm. might not happen to everyone in their 40s, but there will be significant moments when the light bulb will switch, I think. Yeah. You know, and this might not be the last one that I have, but if it is, I'm actually I'm quite content. That's so I'm quite lovely. Happy with
0: that. What a lovely moment to experience. <laughs> it's a great moment. I don't think I've got there yet. Parts of me have, and there's like, you know, little pockets of her. my life that I go yeah,
1: there's a huge difference in us. When mm. We we are out of all of my mates, you and I are probably the most similar. Yeah. Fair. In our work ethic yeah. and our need for love, our yeah. need to give love. Yeah. You know, all the stuff that we've got, all of our character traits. Our lives are very different. You know, Mm. you've got my lovely goddaughter, Mm. Honey, and Rex, and the kids, and you've got Jessie, and you've got all of this stuff. Now, I don't have that. I mean, Mm. we're sat in my house right now. I've got the dog who's nestled into my groin in a very innocent kind of way. (laughs) And, you know, this is my world. Mm. I have a lot of time to think about myself. I've got a lot of time mm. to recalibrate and yeah. work out what am I about. You know, whereas you are so hectic. Oh, I don't have so a second. Way. This is
0: so nice being in a peaceful house when no one's screaming <laughs> mum at me. I like. I may not leave. I'm just warning <laughs> yeah, you. That's fine. I may you, just I've, dwell here I've all day. I've said to you
1: for years to bloody move in. <laughs> oh, I um, love it here. But the di- so no, that's I, the difference. I get what you're saying.
0: No, I think, but I think also with age, and I think when I hit 40, I, I can imagine I'll feel I'm um, in that sort of place. And I want to talk to you about work in a minute. But first, I really want to talk to you about your journey throughout those teen years again, and even up to where you are now, mm. and how your feelings towards your body have changed over yeah. those years. Because I know you've been on a real roller yeah. coaster ride emotionally with that yeah. one. And do you think that you've again, with that turning point at 40, settled into a new rhythm with that too? No. Really?
1: <laughs> if I'm honest, my body's always been my biggest enemy. Mm. And so, growing up obese and hitting 21 stone at my largest, um, which is not only obese, it's, it interrupts the whole of life. Mm. So, normal things like sitting on a bus is impossible because yeah. you don't have to negotiate which seat you can sit in, but through to obviously buying clothes and how people treat you and stuff. Um, and then having the anorexia and losing the weight within a matter of months and, and halving my size, it was so shocking. Mm. And not necessarily just because of how physically my body changed. And not because I had the control and the power to be able to do that. But also the motivation to starve myself. Mm. It was The most shocking thing was how the world treated me. Mm. And they treated me differently. Massively different. I, I gained respect because I was slimmer. People found me attractive because I was slimmer. People talked to me differently. People didn't expect me to be funny. And all of the things that come with being fat. And so I had this really weird moment where I... Was I desperately tried to cling on to the person I was before, Mm. but I knew that that person didn't suit this new body because the world was telling me so. That took me a long time.
0: Huge deal. Huge deal. Massive deal. Overcome and to learn um, to live in a completely new way, which I suppose you imagine. You imagine it's going to be all brilliant and positive and shiny, but with that comes a heap of shit you hadn't even anticipated.
1: Absolutely not at all. And 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 the oddest thing out of all of it was the fact that your level of attractiveness. So I'm not talking sexually now, but the level of attractiveness. So when people look at you or Mm. people give you compliments or they, you know, you feel good about yourself... Um, it's really hard to adjust when you lose weight so quickly from fat to thin that your brain hasn't had time to keep up it hasn't yeah. had time to adjust to where you are so I've always had a quite a, a hang up about it a hang up of how we treat people just because mm. of physically how they look they might be living with a disability obviously the colour of their skin their gender um, sexuality obviously and of course their size which is partly the success of How I Look Good Naked because I genuinely was on a mission yeah. to prove to the world actually you're fuckers and you can't do this don't yeah. you dare be mean to these people because they're physically different But that's
0: why the show work because you weren't just a presenter going here's a great idea for a show you could tell there was that authentic mission that you were on absolutely and you were going to be damned if anyone was going to get in your way while you were doing that
1: which has been incredible but whilst i was doing all of that and actually only this year i've admitted that whilst we were filming house like good naked three i was still anorexic Mm. i hadn't told anyone and i was still controlling my food i was still controlling the way i looked and it was it was a really weird time for me, because I was making this show about body confidence and self-esteem, I was preaching the new gospel, and I was still really struggling with the way that I looked. And I couldn't make peace with that. I I didn't have a way of getting my head around it at Mm. all. And it's only recently that I've understood what it was about. And for me now, I realize that, you know, I will always be an anorexic. I'll always be an overeater. I'll always be anorexic. I'll always have issues with my food. I don't know whether I'll ever discover what they are, but Mm. I I don't know actually even if I want to. Mm. But also with having a disease like anorexia, because it is such a parasite and it does lay dormant and it does come back again, you Mm. know, regardless of what you think it will come back again Mm. hopefully you've got the tools and you've mastered them that you can keep them at bay back then I didn't
0: Mm.
1: and so I really did struggle so I am still continually on that journey of trying to work that one out but it's weird but because I now know that I am always going to be that person it's I've never not dieted since Mm. those days of losing weight when I was 21. I've always, always been very much in control of what I was eating. And now I don't. I don't control it Mm. because I know I'm at peace with the fact that actually, you know, I I admit it. I'm I'm going to have this disease for the rest of my life, Mm. but I'm not going to let it control me anymore. And so that journey is ever changing and it's ever moving on. And I, for the first time, really do understand my body now. And I don't like it and I don't love it and there's parts of it I would change in a heartbeat but I can afford to do it if I want to. I just refuse to.
0: Do you think you can get to that level of contentment and peace with it at some point in your life?
1: I don't think so. Not for me. I don't see it anyway. Mm. It's been always, it's always been my Achilles heel. It's Mm. always been my biggest problem and I think that you know, I, I'd like to believe, I mean, in an ideal world firm, we would sit here, both of us would have flowers in our hair, we'd both be wearing some shade of pink, yeah. and I'd be saying to you, Yeah, I'm going to get to that stage mm-hmm. and I'm going to be fine. But you know what? I just don't think I will. But I'm all right with that now. Well, that
0: is in itself making peace with it, I guess, well, this isn't is it? Because there's no battle yeah. anymore. Yeah. You just go, It is I'm not what it is. It. it is. it is what it is. Yeah. You
1: know, and, and, you know the, the, the hardest thing is, is I, I, when I recently put weight on, when I had this epiphany and I gained weight because I was all of a sudden not controlling it. And this weight is what I should be. I don't overeat now. I eat what I want. I might drink too much lager, but I'm pretty much level. So this is where I should be physically. And then I got a tweet from someone, you know, those awful tweets that you get. Oh yeah, we all get them. them. And I very rarely listen to them because I kind of, I'm on the gospel, I'm on the mission. Yeah, yeah. And I, anyway, this one really got to me and uh, it was I was on a show, and, and some guy had, had said something, and for some reason, it really really got to me and so I recorded a film to him on my phone I sat in my dressing room and I never sent it to him and I never posted it online but I sat and I recorded a film and it was three hours long Wow of me talking to him and it was a complete stranger that I'd never met before I knew nothing about him other than his bio and I'd read a couple of his tweets before and he was obviously just a vile human yeah. being Yeah, well he's got a lot of time. problems and exactly. issues yeah. and which is why I didn't send it actually mm. so this, is, this is the weird this is this is the paradox here because I I, I, I sent him I, I recorded this video it was three hours and I never ever watched it back because I knew exactly what I needed to say in it yeah. but it was weird because I used this complete stranger on Twitter who had insulted me and hurt me to talk to myself yeah. and so I recorded this entire video and I deleted it straight afterwards I didn't want it on my phone And it was the most powerful thing I'd ever done Mm. because I really understood the conversation.
0: It is so interesting because I think so often in life, whether you're in the public eye or not, but someone in your life or on Twitter, social media, whatever, says something that strikes a chord, makes you feel awful Mm. about yourself. It is often because we are all our own worst critics and it's just basically a reflection of that. And what that person is saying is what you're saying to yourself anyway. Exactly.
1: If If I hadn't have gained weight, it wouldn't have affected me. If it was just his opinion, oh, God, let's fat it wouldn't have bothered me, but because I knew it had and because it's my Achilles heel and because it's the first thing that I go to when I feel down, you know, I I don't want anyone to think that I, you know, I literally run around giving out balloons every day and corsages because I'm so bloody happy with living. Mm. Because of course we all have those days where we wake up and we feel down on ourselves and we don't appreciate our reflection and we don't want to go to work and we don't want to talk to anyone. I have those days. But it's less about working out how do you deal with those days, then it's about living those days. Yeah. What I'm trying to say is that, you know, the anxiety is always based on what could happen in the future. Yeah, yeah, it? yeah. Which is one of the most powerful lessons I've ever learned. And so if you can just deal with what's happening right now. Yeah, be in the now. It's impossible to have a panic attack about what's happening right now. Yeah, because you you're in this, it. Because you're in it. And you're okay. And it's the future stuff. And I know that you know all about this mm. stuff with the books mm. and all that stuff, which is great. Now, I didn't know any of this stuff. Mm. And so this is the kind of stuff that I've had to learn just by living, really.
0: I quite often have done that in other ways where I've felt like I've been mistreated hurt or there's been somebody in my life that has caused me pain on purpose or whatever and I've sat down and I've written a lengthy letter and again part talking to them alright Alexa chill out Alexa
1: Alexa doesn't like what you're talking about she's bored of you Alexa you can piss
0: (laughs) right off and I'll write a letter to you later Alexa and I write a letter and then I don't send it or sometimes I'll write it and burn it but I think You know, imparting those words, releasing them, getting them out, freeing them. And believing what you're saying is a really powerful tool to kind of get over things. My
1: nan always used to say, leave, put it on the mantelpiece. Mm,
0: mm. Put it on
1: the mantelpiece. And it's really powerful, isn't it? You know, write the letter, but don't send it. Just Mm. put it on the mantelpiece. How much
0: um, do you think, because we, you know, I really want to talk to you about work now. Mm. How much do you think what you have achieved and what you still strive to achieve is about filling a void or filling that part of you that doesn't feel good enough yet or doesn't Mm. feel like that beautiful contentment.
1: Number one, I love work. Yeah, I really we're do both love very work. lucky yeah. that we absolutely love our we jobs. Absolutely love our work. Yeah. Um, work is also my big, one of my biggest enemies. Mm. I have such an addictive and obsessive mm. personality mm. that if I'm enjoying something, then I want to enjoy all of it, yeah. and I won't stop until I've got all of it. Mm. So that can be anything. I mean, you know, can anything? Um, and work for me has always been a difficult one because I, I, if I'm very honest, I know work will be the thing that kills me. Mm. I you know people know what's where you how you're going to go I know that it will be work because I push myself constantly like like doing the stage show at the moment I don't need to do the stage no. show I've got no need to do it but I it was the biggest challenge of my life biggest challenge of my career to write a show send it out on the road go out on the road be living in a bloody van you know going from venue to venue talking about myself the hardest moments in my life and but the sense of joy and the sense of I, I get from it, the exhaustion I get from mm. it is the best drug in the entire world as far as I'm concerned. Mm. And I I refuse actually to give up that addiction and so you could take many things that you could take shopping away from me you could take you know coffee away from me you could take cigarettes away from me fine i'll get on with that mm. but actually i don't think anyone could take work away from me because no. it does define me and it is filling a void and i know i know the reason why i've got those 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 addictions it's because You know, whilst I'm working and I'm good at something, I feel needed. Mm. So that goes back to being a kid and being bullied. Whilst I'm working and I'm achieving, I haven't got to worry about the other stuff. So that goes back to the anorexia Mm -hmm. and my body and everything else. Whilst I'm working and I'm exhausted, I don't have time to have a relationship, which justifies why I'm single Mm. and justifies how I feel about the way that I look and unattractive and all that stuff. Mm. And so work in a weird way, even though it probably isn't the best addiction to have, and even though it's probably the reason why I'm going to die, out of exhaustion in a weird way it it's a solution for so many other Mm. parts of my my, of my personality the parts of my personality that I refuse to let go of the parts of my personality that that do create my tapestry Mm. now I don't want to let go of any of those things but I need to manage those things so if it's one big addiction that's going to manage all of them it's better the devil you know and Have you're creating constantly
0: which is always yeah. beautiful yeah. it can't be harmful because you're the always creating a yeah the content's great it's the amount
1: it's just the amount it's yeah. just how I go about it Mm-mm. you know I, I've not done a an interview I mean you said it earlier on I've not done an interview or uh, anything where somebody hasn't introduced me as the busiest man in the world mm. and there's a small part of me that goes, Yay!
0: yeah. Yeah. love that. As soon
1: as you hear that, yeah. because you think, yeah, I'm doing it. I'm achieving. I'm mm, achieving. Mm. And, but it, it, and I know the reasons why I do all that stuff. And, but I, I also know, and my dad is the same. I get it from my dad. Mm. I retired my parents, you know, I was lucky enough to have enough money to close a business and pay off their mortgage mm. and do all that stuff. And, when I did it, I did all of it without asking them. Yeah. Which was actually the biggest mistake of my life. Because really? Innocently, I assumed it was the right thing to do. I was, yeah. you know, I'm in a position, I can do this now and they need to rest. I didn't even ask them. And it crushed my dad mm. because he, you know, he lived for catering. His mm. businesses defined him. You know, there's a small part of him now that's missing. I'm all of that person. Mm. And if anybody took this away from me... I would be mortified.
0: What is your fear in stopping or having... Say you had a month where there was nothing and you weren't allowed to create or do anything. What is the fear of that?
1: It's never happened and I never would allow it to happen. Mm. So I don't even... You know I don't even take holidays. I hate holidays. Mm. So poor Chris, my assistant, he... No, you're, you're having a holiday. I've booked you out. You're having you know, four days off mm. here. You're going. And I literally have the car packed up for me and given the keys and a pair of sunglasses. And I'm sent away. Mm. And you can guarantee I'm only gone an hour and I drive back and go, I'm not going. And I hate it. I can't bear it. I, I, you know, I, I, I will go if I'm right. What is it? Like,
0: what is it? What is the fear?
1: There is no fear. I just don't like it. So I you feel don't bored, enjoy.
0: idle? What's the I kind just, of feeling, feel the emotion? It's
1: boring. I hate the countryside. It's dirty. <laughs> So that's what about me and
0: you Sun loungers Drinks But there's no work For a no, week you Could you do it
1: Fern Piss off You know what would happen If it was me and you On a bloody sun lounger With a cocktail We're going right Should we make a TV show <laughs> We could do this Should we do this Should we no, do I a podcast No I know that is Very it's much exactly the the I know But the, the problem is Is that you know, my work is everything that I'm about. Mm, you know, mm. I get so much enjoyment about it. I don't have a day off ever, mm, and mm. I don't enjoy it. And so, like, so for instance, Sunday, I've got to have a day off. I'm working today, I'm working tomorrow, I'm writing tomorrow. Sunday, I've got to have a day off because I'm going into five live shows next So
0: how week. do you deal with a day off? Do you like I the work day off? I with
1: my day off, and that's what I do, is I then work as a day off. So as I'm, I'm having a day off as far as I'm concerned, but actually I'm working.
0: But can't you have a day off knowing that the next day we're going anyway? Does it not work like that? Because for me, my fear, because I'm similar to you, I'm not as extreme, I don't think, as you. I you love. Bloody well are.
1: I love but working. Smi- you can't see this on a podcast, but she's smiling because no, she but knows wait. it's the truth.
0: I think I've managed to somehow mitigate some of that ridiculous drive because I'm a mum now. So I want to balance my time. So I'm either a very conscientious parent or worker. But my fear about not working is that I feel there's this weird very thin veneer that covers over this tidal wave of can I... n- nothingness. Right, you so know what if I'm I about stop, say, it you? will never start up again. You know... So for me, it feels like a tiny balance of like, oh, she's tipped over and she's never going to work again. So I have to keep this momentum, even if it's mm. a slow paced one, just going in case it just stops forever.
1: Okay, I'm going to give you a little reality check because you are one of my closest friends and I love you to pieces. Oh, but I'm going to do this now because you deserve this. Hit me. All right. Hit me. That's all bollocks.
0: It's not. No, I'm
1: not saying all bollocks, but what I'm saying to you, you are the hardest working mum and worker that I know. I've never met anybody in the world that, so much so that from a work addict, I sit and I'm jealous. (laughs) (laughs) at the amount that you manage to fit in. (laughs) Hear me out, all right? The way that you juggle your life Mm. is unlike anybody else, without assistance. The fact that you still... I mean, I know that comes from a a sense of control, and I know where that comes from. Mm -hmm. But the way that you do that is incredible. So to turn around and say, I'm either going to be a dedicated mum or I'm going to be really hard at work, that's complete bollocks, because you manage to do both in tandem. Yeah, I do.
0: I, I do, you know. To my own detriment at times because well, I do completely. Like we all but do, exhaust still... ourselves. But I do try. Tw- and I think, you know, very similar, in a similar way to you, it is about self worth, achievement, that high completely. that you get from it. Completely. Absolutely is. But also, I think you know, it is that buzz of creating and having the joy of there being something tangible at the end of it, you know, like even if it is just baking a cake, like having a thought and then making something happen and that relating to self-worth in some way. I don't don't
1: think that we should ever be in a position where we have to... Justify it to the point of feeling no, guilty. No, no, I don't. Because at I the don't. end of the day, I mean, you've, the, the key thing that you've just said there, and the most important thing, is it's to your detriment. Mm, it's yeah. never at the kids' detriment. It's no, never no, no, detriment. no, no, Jesse's detriment. You know, it's never at your clients, the people that you're working for's mm, detriment. Mm, because you give everything hundred percent. Mm, the only, the only person in your life that doesn't get a hundred percent out of you mm, is yourself. Mm, you know, and I know this because I'm, I'm looking in the mirror right now, and I can see all of that. stuff. Yeah. And yes, it is. It's, in, it, it's terrifying in this business to think that you're not going to go to work next month. Mm. and the fact that you have got to keep up with the game and you have got to constantly be reinventing what you're doing mm. and, and everything is a, a case of you know, because you know we're employed for what's inside our heads mm. you know that's really important to constantly make sure that the information in our heads is up to date mm. and it's new and there's new ideas and it's very very creative but I'm less worried with that.
0: I, yeah, I'm not worried about that because I've always... I can't sleep at night. I have insomnia because there's so many ideas up yeah. there. But it's more, will other people want them or me? Like, yeah. I do have a fear that it will end. Do you have that similar yeah, I think, fear? Yeah, Absolutely, I do
1: have that fear. Yeah. And I think that I've... I've had moments in my career where I've not been wanted. I've not mm, been desirable. Yeah. And... But I... So, so then I open a business and I just open another business yeah. and then another yeah. business. And so from... I, I'm very lucky because my dad taught me at the age of three, again, social services, how to do accountancy and how to run a business. And I understand profit and loss. And, you know, I understand that, you know, turning an idea into a business platform. And so throughout my career, I've managed to, um, you know, invest quite well into different businesses and properties and stuff like that. So in my mind... This won't be forever. Mm. You know, in my mind, one day I'll walk down the street and no one will know who I am. In do you really my, think that? Yeah, yeah. And I, in my mind, the phone will stop ringing with a, a job offer or a TV show or a book deal or something like that. That will happen. And do you know what? I'm kind of all right with it because I'm 43 years old now. In seven years' time, I'm going to be 50. In 17 years' time, I'm going to be 60. My sister once said to me, and it's probably... One of the most powerful things I've ever heard to get my head around this business, and it doesn't even involve this business. and She said to me on the telephone one day, One day you're gonna die. And I said, Thanks. <laughs> and she said, But hopefully, if you're really, really lucky, you'll be in a bed. And when you're in that bed, hopefully, it makes me quite tearful when I think about mm. it. Hopefully, one day you're gonna be surrounded by. The people that you love, mm. and you're going to be surrounded by the best of your memories. Mm. You've got to work out what are they, what are they going to be? Mm. Are they going to be spreadsheets? Are they going to be? Um, somebody that's offering you a TV show are they going to be are they going to be one of your books that you might have written out the night, last 15 mm. and it makes me quite emotional because I think sometimes like actually do you know what you've made sense of this entire business yeah. and whilst I struggle and I fight and I'm constantly trying to prove myself in fact you are right and if 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 you can get that into your head I think it makes you stop worrying about it so mm. much because mm. you understand the, the importance it's important to work hard and it's really important to do the best that you can do but the best that you can do can be baking a cake and yeah. it can be. It doesn't necessarily have to be just where you get the f- all of the. The surface, the surface stuff.
0: Well, I think that must come with Asian experience because I certainly would strive for the wrong things back in the day, whether it be, you know, accolades, people respecting me, whatever that Mm. means, or being popular. And now, if I'm enjoying what I do, it doesn't matter if it's a teeny-weeny project Mm. that a handful of people will enjoy or if it's a really big-scale project. If I've enjoyed it and I've got something from it that enriches my life, tick. And that was not the case back in the day. And I think you understand the value of what you're doing. rather than just sort of doing stuff for the sake of it it's got to have meaning yeah but but also as well Fern I mean there's
1: a real sense of you know when people talk about brands and I'm not talking about having a brand the way you've got a clothing line and you know hair products and this that and the other I'm talking about your own personal brand Mm. who you are as a person and I think that building your brand as a person is really important and I think that if you are concrete with what your brand is about you know how you converse how you Um, host how you make people feel how you console Mm. um, how you love how you care all Mm. of those really important facets to your brand if you understand all of those then you 're never ever going to be without work, yeah and that 's what my sister was getting at is the fact that actually you know every single one of those people will be representative of those different parts of your brand mm. and then if you 've tapped into that and you know and you 're really aware of that, actually you know the fear does go away a little bit
0: yeah because you 're being authentic and if you 're being authentic.
1: authentic and it's it doesn 't you know, matter
0: that everything else is great absolutely and yeah you know what? if
1: i don 't get offered another TV show again it 's fine i 've had a great time i 've made mm. great television that i 'm really proud of, and some Television, I'm not so proud of, but you know I've done all that stuff. But I think it's just about understanding that person, understanding who you want around your bed, mm. understand what those people represent, and mm. I think if you've got that, actually you can just start breathing a little bit. Mm. I'll be by the bed. <laughs> You're definitely. Be, you'll be I'll in the be bed there. with me. I'll be in the bed with be, you. Be feeding bed, you grapes, doing a seventy minus one, hopefully. <laughs>
0: Thank you to my gorgeous darling Mr Gok I hope you enjoyed spending time in his company and his delightful home as much as I did. And look, that's it for this first run. If this was the first chance you've had to listen to the show, we have nine more fantastic interviews available right now. You can find them on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Entail, and all the many other podcast apps that are out there. We'll be back with more episodes very shortly, I promise. Until then, thanks again to Gorgeous Gock to the producer Matt Hill at Rethink Audio. Thanks, Matt. And of course, to you beautiful people for listening. I'll see you very soon.